0: I'm Dr. Mila Brugic and I'm joined with Dr. Shane Kinnar, and we're going to be talking today about not being able to see up close on the OI show.
1: Dr.
0: Shane Kinnar, what a pleasure to have you on. Um, you are you are the man, the the the, the legend, the myth, um, <laughs> the person that's behind all of the technologies and the products that we seem to at some point get in our hands. You've uh, You've developed this awesome private practice. You're you're just doing a lot of clinical research. Um, if you could just share with the audience a little bit more about your practice, your passion, and what you really spend your time doing in your office.
1: Yeah, we you know I have a great diverse practice with my two partners and myself. We're in Pittsburgh, Kansas, so kind of rural America. Uh, we're taking call for both the hospitals in our county. We're handling most medical care that comes. We have a surgeon come in and. Probably about six years ago I got really involved. Well, actually ten years ago now, I got really involved in clinical research. And that started with contacts and has now grown into pharma and device. And it's just an aspect of our practice. I really enjoy not only seeing what's coming to the market today, but what might be coming to the market in three, four, five
0: years. Oh, that's great. That's great, Shane. And I and I can sense like even I can sense your passion even when you talk about it too. that's, that's awesome. Now, um, so let's let's talk about some of the new stuff that, that we're expecting to see in the next one, three, five years. And that is this whole new category of correcting vision up close. I mean, really right now, and I'm already sharing this with patients, you have two options. You have glasses, and you have a few options when it comes to glasses. And then you have contact lenses, and you have a few options when it comes to contact lenses. But there's going to be a third option soon. And that's the advent of presbyopia drops. Tell us a little bit about... Um, the drops, really the category, how it's gonna work and and what you foresee its role is in our practices. Well well, just
1: like you mentioned, you tell patients there's classes and maybe a couple options in that. I think we're gonna see the same thing in presbyopia drops. What's really emerging and, and what's really caught my interest right now is how can we work with a pinhole? And you know, if you think about all those op- options you had, and including surgery and IOLs, everything's been refractive in nature and really. That goes back hundreds of years. But what if we start to look at a pinhole and how that changes depth of focus? And, you know, we, we do that in our offices routinely. We pinhole a patient to get their best corrected vision, but that's at the spectacle plane. And we really limit field. And then for a while, we looked at moving that back to the corneal plane, and we looked at corneal inlays. And I think we've seen there's maybe some new technology coming, but a lot of that's kind of been on hold. But what if we move that pinhole even further back to the iris plane? If we do that, if we use the natural eye to do that, we, we not only provide that increased depth of focus, we don't limit visual field. So as a 49-year-old, what I'm going to tell you is, if I can see my phone in that intermediate range and still have great visual field at the distance, man, I'm pretty happy. Uh, Milié, I think you brought up a great point. Where does it fit in our practice? And you know, I think that's a really big discussion right now it's not going to be detrimental to our practices. What it's going to do is drive patients in. You know, uh, everybody my age is looking for a better solution because there's always been some compromise. And I'm not saying this drop won't have compromise too, but it's the next step. And it allows us to offer them another option. And maybe it gets them through the workday with really functional vision. And they still need the progressives you mentioned. Or maybe we can use the drop and see benefit or drops and see benefit with their soft contact lenses. So I think it's adjunctive therapy. It's another tool we have that's going to appeal to a whole lot of patients.
0: Yeah, I agree with you, Shane. I think, I think that, like whenever anybody thinks about a drop for presbyopia, I think really the the no brainer is almost the emetrope or the low hyperope or the low myope that's starting to now struggle with the up close vision or, or presbyopic or just. Hates wearing reading glasses or anything because they've never needed anything their whole life. Yeah, that's that's one category. But there's this other massive bucket of people. These people who like, you know, they you know you, they come into our offices and they have office glasses and they have progressives and they have this and that. I mean, I foresee this as potentially simplifying their lives a little bit. They can sit on the computer with a pair of progressive edition lenses and they can see through the top of the lenses because of the pinhole effect that you that you talked about um, and they'll also still have the full ad power through the bottom of their glasses as well too. I just see so many kind of adjuncts but I, I know you're big into contact lenses and I know we we've talked a lot about you know this this interesting um curve that occurs you know once you get to 50 virtually 100 percent of the population needs some type of refractive correction but when you look at the contact lens wearing curve it actually drops. So, between the ages of 40 and 50, you don't see a curve that um, mimics the need for refractive error. You actually see it going the other way. Do you see an opportunity with these drops to help some of these patients stay in contact lenses that may be dropping out of the lenses?
1: Oh, I think without question. I think kind of that low-hanging fruit you mentioned is uh, the patient who's had distance correction but they can't handle the multifocals we have and and monovision doesn't really provide is an option, but it's not really giving us the vision we want, especially at those moderate ad powers and up. So I think some of our patients will use this drop in their distance-only contacts and stay in years and years. It's not really been looked at yet, but personally, I'm interested to see how this pinhole effect plays into that center-near design that we see in all of our contact lenses. Because maybe we make that near better, the eight hours are at work, and then as that starts to open up and the drop – uh, kind of get through its cycle. We return distance vision and they're really comfortable. I just think there's so much opportunity for optometry to begin to look at where this drop plays a role. And you mentioned patients. There's over 100 million patients that fit in this category. There's a lot we can do. And, and I think we can develop these protocols quickly.
0: Yeah, I, I think we're going to have to, Shane, because I think the demand for this technology and this, this solution is going to be there. I think the the most important that we can, that the thing that we can do as clinicians is understand how to position it um, to patients so that they can make the best decisions possible for themselves.
1: Well, and I think if you start to look, and I mentioned categories in the the presbyopia solution. There's other technologies. Maybe we look at how we can impact the lens, or maybe we restore more accommodation. And I think as a profession, we need to start leading these discussions with our patients. So when they see the commercials, when they hear their friends talk about it, they're associating us with it. And I think as a profession, it's really important we start to put ourselves in the driver's seat. This is our wheelhouse. Let's embrace it and kind of maybe even reinvigorate ourselves a little bit in practice and say, hey, we have another option for you.
0: Shane, it's interesting. I have to share with you a quick story. This is literally before I went to optometry school. My father worked at Chrysler's, so he worked on the line. And there was a program called Temporary Part-Time where they'd take students of people who worked at Chrysler's and they'd allow us to work on the factory line. So I had the opportunity to do that. And I always kind of wanted to see what my dad did on the line for eight hours, 10 hours a day. And they put me in this real kind of cushy job. Um, but 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 the point was, I was sitting around with two or three guys and uh, they said, so what are you going to school for? I understand you're going to Boston for school. I said, I, I, I am. And I'm a little kid from you know, Windsor, Ontario, right across the river from Detroit, Michigan, they said, so you're going to Boston, huh? What are you going to school there for? I said, optometry. And they said, you're gonna be an eye doctor? I said, yeah, they said, they took off their bifocal glasses and they said, you know, I got these bifocal glasses and every two years I need more and more power in these bifocal glasses. Do these things make my eyes weaker? And, you know, listen, at the time I had no clue, you know, this is pre-optometry school, but there's this notion Shane, that the glasses or the contact lenses that we're prescribing for these patients are actually making their vision worse. How important is it, I mean, when you're educating or you're talking to your presbyopic patients, how important do you feel it is to set the expectation so they know what to expect over the next one, five, 10 years, regardless of the influence of what we do, that this is just a natural process that's happening?
1: Oh, I think it's a discussion we always have. You know, one of my favorite phrases is uh, the journey through life. You know, and I remember when I first got in practice, Jane, I Jane, mean, you say
0: that you say that very delicately and gently. When I need deli- when I need information delivered about age related changes, I'm going to come to you to to deliver that to me.
1: <laughs> so, tears. I had first gotten out of school, and I was talking to my mom and doing her exam, and I said at your age, and, and I remember her pointedly saying, if you're gonna be a success, you better find a way not to say at your age, because every doctor <laughs> says that. And so I've started saying, it, as the journey through life happens, these changes are gonna progress, and there's nothing we can do. Glasses, contacts are not gonna make it better or worse, we're just addressing your need now. And it's the same with these drops. I think, you know, patients, none of us like being old. None of us like seeing those things happen to us, just like my mom. And I think there's no bigger reminder than bifocals. You know, I, you need a bifocal is probably one of the most hated phrases they hear. And now we have an option. Hey, we need to put you on a drop to restore your near vision. We need to put you on a drop and have you wear your contacts. There's so much uh, that goes into our patient's thought process when we say that. I think the more options we have, the better off we
0: are. Shane it's interesting like you know even even in addition to like the meiotic drops you know there's several companies that are working on that right now there's also drops that seem to be restorative to the lens itself and actually add additional functionality back to a lens that seems to be losing elasticity over time so there's a lot of technologies that are just going to fundamentally change the way that we think about correcting the presbyopia and understanding how to really treat these individuals with, with the plethora of options that we have and giving them some level of clear direction on what the best options may be for their needs as well too.
1: Yeah. And, and as we mentioned, there's a hundred, more than a hundred million patients in this category. If I'm a pharma company, I'm going to try to find a need. And, you know, I think sometimes as practitioners, we become disconnected and we don't realize that our patients really aren't happy with the solutions we're offering. You know, we say you need this and they're going to buy readers anyway. And I think that's starting as the more and more people we see in that 40 up age group, the more that displeasure is being shared. And I think industry is starting to look at that and try to find options for us.
0: Shane, uh, one of my senior partners several years ago, um, he shared with me, he said, it's interesting, you know, he goes, your, your practice will kind of have a bell curve around your age category just because of the people that you know in town, et cetera, and the practice that you build. And, and he's right, and I'm 45 right now. So there's a lot of my close friends that are now coming to me for help and, and questions about this. And it's encouraging to know that we're going to very soon have options that are very, very different than what we have today to either supplement what we're currently doing or to potentially provide other options for these patients other than what they're currently doing. And that, that I think is personally exciting for me.
1: Well, and I think we're also going to start to identify disease earlier, because if we have options to bring these patients to our practices, they're right. going to be coming annually. We're going to identify disease earlier. Uh, and to your point of your senior partner, don't you find yourself much more empathetic with a presbyope than you were at 30? You have no idea how much burden that really is until you're a presbyope yourself.
0: Shane, that's a real way to stick the knife right to the chest. (laughs) I'm ahead of you, so I understand. Although saying that at 45, I still am not presbyopic. Now, I'm either an early denier or I truly am functioning where I'm supposed to be right now. But regardless, I still don't need correction yet. But I think something's going to change in the next several years on that, Shane. (laughs)
1: You know, I started wearing correction when my scribe was so frustrated because I kept having to have her turn up the lights in the exam room. You have to do something, and lo and behold, she was right. So I think you're probably in the the strong denial category,
0: but you'll get there. Well, Shane, there's an easy solution to that: get a new scribe. On that note, Shane. <laughs> Uh, It's been such a pleasure. You are just such a wealth of knowledge. We definitely want to have you back on the show. Um, We definitely want to continue this conversation and discussion because it is evolving very, very quickly. And thank you, audience, for being and joining us on the OI Show. Make sure to subscribe to our channel. Make sure you're hearing all the podcasts. And Shane, my friend, thank you so much for being here with us.
1: Thanks for the opportunity. It's always great to talk to you.